Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. And today I'm happy to be joined by my good friend, Jay King, Celtics beat writer for MassLive.com, to talk about the uh, the ups and downs, and mostly downs lately, of the team he covers, the Boston Celtics. Jay, how are you? Pretty good, thanks, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. So I'm down in Dallas. Uh, I was here for, for last night's Cavs-Mavs game. Uh, this is recording this Wednesday afternoon, um, but I, I I was not in New York where Jay was to watch uh, to watch the Knicks beat the Celtics um, while Chris Porzingis had a big game and Carmelo Anthony got hurt and the Celtics uh, lost their fourth game in a row to fall to 500. Um, now in tenth place in the East, a couple games out of I guess one game out of a playoff spot behind the Magic, and you know Jay, this was a team that coming into the season people were pretty optimistic about and after a, a pretty decent start things have things have really gone south lately so what what is the state of the team at the moment and, and why do you think the Celtics have uh have gone off the rails a little bit well they just don't have a, a big margin for error even when they were winning games it's like their offense just isn't good enough that they can that they have much harder for error. And so when they don't play well, they can lose to literally anybody. And they lost to the Nets. They lost to the Lakers. They lost to the Knicks last night with Porzingis in foul trouble and Carmelo Anthony missing the whole second half with an ankle injury. And it, it's, they're get, starting to get frustrated lately with their play, but you know, they're just, they're a pretty average team with a really good defense. And when the, when their shots aren't falling, which they haven't been lately, the offense has been really, really bad. Uh, Avery Bradley has made just one of his last 23-pointers, and that's huge for them because they kind of need him as one of their lone shooters uh, to, to, to give them some buckets. And He's been struggling. They've been struggling. It's been, it's been a tough two weeks. The frustration is starting to build. And, and I was going to ask you about that. Uh, you know, I saw the other day, um, I don't remember who they lost to over the weekend, but um, there was there weren't a lot of guys in the locker room. It didn't seem like a lot of guys were mad after the game. Um, you know, this there 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 does seem to be some frustration kind of building at the moment. Um, is is there any worry that that this could spiral a little bit if these guys can't um, can't start to get some wins together? I know there was some talk that David Lee was upset because he hasn't been playing much. Um, and and there was just some kind of discontent in general. Uh, is there any is there any fear that that could that that could start to spread? You never know. I mean, especially with a team that's as deep as the Celtics are. Once you start losing, then the guys who weren't playing minutes before, it starts to become more frustrating. You know, David Lee, he was he wasn't happy with his minutes from the start of the season, but they they were playing pretty well, and he was still getting a few minutes. Now they've lost four in a row. He's not playing at all when does that become an issue? You know, there are a lot of guys like that who probably think they should get minutes. Kelly Olenek started against the Knicks, didn't play in the entire second half. Against the Knicks, they, they went to small lineups throughout the second half. It, they have kind of a weird roster situation where they have a ton of pretty good big guys, like five established big guys, but their best lineups are often smaller lineups. So they went to those small lineups in the second half against the Knicks. And they only played eight guys. Kelly Olynyk, Tyler Zeller, and David Lee all sat the entire second half. And those are 
three like pretty good players. They're not. They can all contribute to NBA teams still, but you know it's just for the sake of the team. The smaller lineups were were working, and I don't know when that becomes an issue. The bigger issue, though, rather than the playing time and, and the, the frustrated guys, just they need to find offense. When Isaiah Thomas isn't on the court, ever since he's come to Boston, they have struggled to put up offense, and they need to find other sources of offense. They they need to to maximize the opportunities when he is on the floor and also when he's not on the floor. They, they take a lot of – they've started to revert to taking bad shots early in the shot clock, long twos, contested threes. They're kind of settling for shots. And and, and as I said, they, they really don't have much margin for error because they don't have, other than Isaiah Thomas, that guy who can go get points. And Isaiah Thomas is five foot nine. And certain matchups can give them difficulties. Well, and that that's something I, I want to get to the whole roster itself because I, I think they have kind of a fascinating situation at the moment. But but you kind of stuck struck on the point that I think is the the most essential problem with this team, which is that you look at the Celtics and there's no plan B. Like if Isaiah Thomas has the ball, he's going to either create a shot for somebody or shoot it every time, and a lot of times just shoot it, and he's pretty good. He's a pretty efficient player, and he's going to be able to put up points for you. But when you look at the Celtics, outside of him, there's not really another guy on the team that can really create his own shot. And there, it just it's hard to figure out how, as a group, that team is going to put up consistent points on a nightly basis. And I do kind of wonder, you know, last year after they traded for Isaiah Thomas, the Celtics had a pretty good run towards the end of the season. Um, won a bunch of games, ended up getting the seventh seed, uh, and then getting annihilated by the Cavaliers in the first round. But it it felt like the Celtics were constantly winning these games, either at the buzzer or winning close games down the stretch, or they out-executed teams. And it, it I just wondered coming into this season if the other shoe was going to drop and they were going to just really have trouble generating the kind of offense necessary to be a good team. Now, you look at this year, you know, the Celtics are playing pretty good defense. They're, they're per uh per nba.com, their per possession numbers on defense are, you know, they're they're giving up less than 100 points per 100 possessions, which is really good. Um, you know, they like they're third in the league, like you said, they they've got a strong defense, but they're also, you know, somewhere down around 20th. Um, they're actually I think 22nd or 23rd in offense. They're averaging just over 100 points a game. And, you know, you mentioned how there isn't really another option for this team when Isaiah Thomas is on the bench. Do you see another option currently on the roster? Or do you think that that's just kind of a fundamental flaw that until this team either this summer or at the deadline makes a move, it's just not going to be able to fix? I don't think they have it on the roster. I mean, Jake Crowder's gotten a lot better offensively, but he's not the type of guy who can create his own shot. He needs to be attacking closeouts. He needs to be in spot-up situations. Probably the second-best guy on the roster right now in terms of creating a shot is Evan Turner. And he has he's not a great shooter. He's not really, I don't think, you want as the guy who's your second-best playmaker. Well, that kind of sums up their problems, right? To rely on so- I mean, that kind of sums yeah, it up. Exactly. Their second best, their, and maybe he's the only other guy on the team that can do it, is Evan Turner. I mean, Marcus Smart can kind of create offense at this point, but he's still, and I, I like him a lot as a, as a player, but I think he's more of a defensive player. And 
um, you know, yeah, like I, I think that kind of sums things up, right? When when Evan Turner is the answer, is you know who else can can get the job done there? Yeah, it leads to a lot of inefficient looks. They've got you know Turner shooting like around fifteen percent from threes. He he shot one for five. The fact that he shot five threes against the Knicks was pretty pretty telling. You know, they just don't have that second guy, and and Isaiah. Thomas makes their offense pop. Like he's that dynamic player. He makes like they've always shared the ball under Stevens. They've always played team ball. They've always cut hard, moved hard. Isaiah is the only guy who has made that offense really crackle. And with when he's not on the court, they just don't have that. And they need it's not on the roster right now. Maybe Smart will become that one day. He's not that yet. He's not really close. He does it in small, small stretches here and there, but hasn't really been able to sustain anything over long periods of time. And, you know, Turner's not that guy, as I said, but he does have some playmaking skills, and they probably need to rely on him too much considering their roster makeup. Yeah, and that and that kind of gets into the other thing that, that makes the Celtics, to me, one of the more fascinating teams in the league at this point, right? You look at You look at Boston, and ever since they made the trade with the Nets, to get to get rid of Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett in exchange for you know some some bloated contracts and much more importantly uh, three first round picks in 2014, 16, and 18, and the right to swap picks in 2017. They've just been in the business of accumulating as many assets as possible um, in order to try to swing moves to get the stars they need to kind of start the next cycle of what they hope will be the great the next great Boston Celtics team and to be fair to Danny Ainge he's done an outstanding job of collecting assets and just getting talented players on the roster Uh, the Celtics have a ton of picks they have the the Mavs pick this year they've got the Nets pick which could be very high they've got their own Um, you know they've they've made smart trades using cap space uh, to fill out the roster you know picked up guys like uh, Tyler Zeller and Jay Crowder and um, you know, sign Amir Johnson to a good contract this summer. Um, you know, up and down the roster, you could see they made a lot of, you know, pretty smart moves. But the kind of the downside of that with the team they have now is they don't necessarily even have one bad player on their team. They got a couple of young guys who probably aren't ready yet, but they've got a lot of guys who can play a little bit. And in the NBA, as you as I think you would agree, Jay, if you have 13 or 14 guys that can play you've probably got three or four guys too many that can play like in theory it sounds great to say I can play everybody on the team but an NBA team that's good is only really gonna play nine or ten guys you know now these days with the way roster the way people are with minutes it's more like 10 guys and you have to then try to find minutes for those other guys and it's tough and I just I look at this Celtics team, and it just feels like a team that, until they can make a trade, whether it's this summer or in the next month, they're just going to be kind of stuck in this no man's land where, like you said before, you know there isn't really a solution on the roster, and they're going to be just good enough to kind of be a mediocre team in the East, especially now that the East has gotten a lot better. And you see teams like Orlando and Detroit and, you know, these other teams that had young 
young guys with more upside maybe than the Celtics do starting to kind of emerge and step forward. Um, so with that in mind, you know, what do you what do you think the next move is for the Celtics between now and the deadline and now and this summer? Um, do you do you expect them to really to try to to make do you, do you expect them to make that kind of swing now, um, or do you think there isn't even a guy that or or guys that'll be available for them to kind of make the upgrades that they might need to take that next step forward? I mean, they'll be looking for it obviously before the trade deadline. They've been looking for it for a long time now. The problem is, how often do those types of guys, those real franchise difference makers? come available on the market. It's hardly ever. And I think in this trade market, because there are so many teams fighting for playoff bursts, because there's so much parity right now in the NBA, who's, who's really going to be a seller? Who, who, who's giving up a star when, when almost, you know, probably more than 20 teams legitimately think they have a shot at making the playoffs. So it could be tough to find that star this February. The good thing is they have the Nets pick, which is going to be a really good one. That that's that's their their star trade asset. That's that's the one Angel be dangling around, uh, try, trying to shake a star free. And I, I do also think he'll he'll be looking to to trade multiple players for for one. He, he's going to try. He's, he said he's going to try to uh, consolidate quantity for quality is how he put it. So he he's not just looking for the star. He's looking for any upgrade at this stage, and he he's trying to 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 upgrade those assets any way he can. So they'll be looking for for pretty good players too. But they need more scoring, they, and really they need that star. I don't know who it'll be. I don't think anyone knows who, who like what star could be available on the market. Demarcus Cousins. They talk about him like they're not getting rid of him. Like who else? I, I don't know who it would be. I agree. I mean, DeMarcus is the one obvious example, and at this point it's hard to see the Kings actually moving him. And, yeah, I mean, this is the thing, right? You look at what Danny Ainge has done the last two and a half years. He's done nothing wrong. You know, he's made just about every move. You know, maybe he could have taken Giannis Antetokounmpo in the draft, but a lot of teams passed on him, and Kelly Olenek is fine. And, you know, but but you look at all the moves that, that Danny's made, and he's done an amazing job taking a team that looked like it was at the end of a great run. It was just going to be you know, have to go through a, rebu- or a long rebuilding process, like most teams do. And you know, it was spun it around. They have a ton of assets. They got a ton of really good picks. The Nets pick could easily be the top pick in the draft. Um, you know, they've got they've got a lot of things going for them. But in order to take that step from being a mediocre team with a lot of assets to a team with a couple of star level assets that makes you an exciting team that can contend you need a lot of luck and that's the part that I think a lot of people forget when it comes to this team building is that you need to have luck to get the guys to take that next step you know Houston was on this was on this treadmill for probably four or five years, and they were kind of in almost the exact same situation the Celtics are in now, where Daryl Morey kept getting players, getting assets, and winning trades, and the the Rockets just kept kind of churning around the eighth seed in the West, sometimes making the playoffs, sometimes just missing the playoffs, because they were just good enough to be 
you know, around 500, usually a little bit better, but they weren't, they didn't have the star level talent to take that next step forward. Then all of a sudden, James Harden shakes free, right? And they jump in and get him, and then they have a star. And then a year later, they can get Dwight Howard and for agency. Then they have two stars. And then all of a sudden, they go from being an interesting team to a great team, or at least a team that had the potential to be great. And that's the part for the Celtics that's going to be tough because, as you know, you know the the Celtics have never hit any hit with anybody in free agency. And now that everybody's got cap space, it's very hard to see how that's going to be the path forward. So really, they need to either land somebody in a trade like DeMarcus Cousins or some other star that shakes free, or they need to get lucky in the draft. And all you have to do is look at another Atlantic Division team, the Philadelphia 76ers, to see that as much as you want to try to win in the draft, and even if they have the Nets pick, the Nets pick could easily be the fifth pick or the sixth pick instead of the first pick. And if that happens, you know, your chances of getting a elite player, um, they change quite a bit. Yeah, uh, no matter how well they position themselves. And they position themselves really well. When you look around the NBA, they are going to be mentioned whenever any star shakes free because they they have the best assets. They have the Brooklyn pick now. They have unprotected Brooklyn pick in 2018. They have Marcus Smart, who people value highly around the league. They have all these assets, but they it still takes that star to get free. You know, we talked. You were talking about the Rockets. If the Thunder decide to pay, what was it, seven or eight million dollars through the extra million dollars through the duration of Harden's contract, he doesn't shake free, and the Rockets don't get that star, and they probably don't get Dwight Howard later. And and so, Daryl Morey probably gets. At least, I shouldn't say probably. There's a decent chance Daryl Morey gets fired at that point. His job was really in, really kind of on the ropes. Not that Danny Ainge is anywhere. I mean, he's got pretty much infinite job security in Boston, but um, but but that is how tenuous it can be. I mean, it is kind of on a knife's edge a lot of the time. Yeah, and so, and then you look at free agency, the 2016 class really isn't a great free agent class, and it, it's hard to see them competing for a guy like Kevin Durant or Al Horford, one of those guys. So, yeah, you have to get lucky in the draft, or you have to get lucky and get it that trade and it is going to take a while to get to that next step and as you said Ainge, Ainge has done everything right he's he traded <laughs> he's had a million trades in the last three years and he's won just about every single one of them and now it's it's time for that next step and until then they're just going to be pretty average no and and it, what's going on honestly I mean they've had some young guys improve Crowder has become a really good player Avery Bradley has probably outperformed his contract this year. You know, they, they have guys improving, and some of those assets are, are growing more valuable, but at the same time, they, they need that star, and that's the tough part about team. That's the toughest part about team building is no matter how many good moves or great moves you make in a row, you have to, to get that luck, and it hasn't happened yet. Angel keeps turning over every stone. Well, here here's something I had I just kind of thought about as we were talking, and I, and I do I do want to throw by you. Let's say let's say this season kind of keeps going the way it is, right? And let's say you know Boston is hovering around five hundred. Let's say they even drop below five hundred, um, and 
and they, you know, they're, you know, they're they're sitting in kind of the same same position as we get a couple weeks for the deadline, right? Let's say they're a couple games out of a playoff spot, or maybe hanging on to the eighth spot um, in early to mid February. Is there any chance that Ainge would sell off some players for assets? Would you maybe trade uh, Isaiah Thomas, or would you maybe trade some of these other guys to get either more picks or um, or to get younger players that maybe have more upside down the road, um, as opposed to, to keep kind of trying to stay competitive right now? Is there a chance that maybe he would be willing to take a step back if, that, if this doesn't, you know, if this, if this lull becomes more of an extended thing? I was actually pondering this recently because now they've lost six out of seven. They're really struggling. And actually last year at the trade deadline, they actually considered breaking things up and going the other way and actually tanking to try to get a good draft pick. Uh, but they had won four out of five going into the trade deadline. Stevens made a public call to, to for a little more continuity with the roster, and they decided – you know, to go out and get Isaiah Thomas and kind of make a playoff push rather than go the other way. This year, you know, they're kind of in a similar situation. I, I think the real difference is, even if they did sell off guys, they couldn't really get to that bottom echelon or the top echelon of the lottery. Like, it would take – they've already got 19 wins. They're not catching the Nets probably not the Bucks, probably not the 76ers. Like, no matter who they trade, they have enough talent on the roster to squeak out enough wins where they're, they wouldn't be at the top of the ladder. So I don't, I don't think that's really an option. I would be pretty shocked if they decide to go that way. But, you know, who, who knows? And, and what are they going to trade for? I, I think if, if you move, like, you already have enough good players as it is. You're not going to trade for, for more good players. You, you already have so many draft picks. Like, how many more draft picks could you really want when when you already have so many? And and so I don't know. I mean, they could do that. I'm not sure it's it's too viable. To and I guess honest. that and I guess that's part of why they're kind of stuck, right? In this in this weird no man's land, they've got a lot of picks, and and even like a team like Philly. That's got a ton of picks and not really any, only a couple players, so they can always use a player. Um, you know, the Celtics already have enough decent players, so like you said, unless they could package them for somebody, they're kind of going to be stuck. Um, now let let's shift a little bit um, to to the coach of the Celtics, Brad Stevens, who really has been one of the best coaching hires in recent memory by Danny Ainge. Came completely out of nowhere. Uh, when he hired him, wasn't something anybody really expected, though a lot of people did think that Stevens would end up being an NBA coach at some point because he had earned a lot of respect for the way he'd built the, the Butler program and the way he um, conducted himself in-game. Like, I know a lot of people, including me, watched him during games and thought this was a guy that could, could succeed at the next level. Um, and he's, he's, in many ways, maybe, I think you might agree, their best asset in terms of what he's been able to get out of the roster. Um is there is there any chance though that if this team continues to kind of stay in the position they're in that he might start to look back at college and look at jobs like the Indiana job, the North Carolina job, the Duke job and and maybe consider going back that route 
or do you think that at this point he's fully committed to um, to being in the NBA and doesn't doesn't want to go back to dealing with recruiting and all the other nonsense that goes with being a collegiate head coach at this point? I would be really, really surprised if he considered doing the college route. He, he's gone on record to say the only way he's leaving Boston is that they fire him. He, he, I think he's really committed to the challenge of coaching in the NBA and, and getting the Celtics to the next level. And he's a guy who's he, he's really, really focused on the day-to-day process and improving and all that. So I don't think he... Not that he doesn't want to win and he doesn't want to compete for championships and all that. He absolutely does. But I think he's he's so focused on the day-to-day stuff that maybe he's not as bothered by the fact that they're pretty average uh, as some other coaches may be in that situation. And I, honestly, like they have so many assets that I think it's only a matter of time until they get that star. And I'd be I'd be really really surprised if he considers college, but you know you never you never know in the NBA anything could happen. Anything can happen. That's very true. Now Stevens has been in the news a lot recently um, because of the the unfortunate death of one of his former players at Butler, Andrew Smith. Who um, I, people might not remember him right away, but he was the center on both uh, Final Four teams um, and was a was a pretty good player. Uh, in college, um, only 25 years old, had a had cancer and passed away recently. And Stevens left, uh, missed a game last week to go back to Indiana to spend time with him um, and his family. And you know, I, I think you you said before the podcast that um, that he's going to go to the funeral um, whenever it happens. Um, what what has what has been what has it been like, kind of seeing him? Uh, go through that process publicly and um and what and it is it kind of a window into the guy that that Brad Stevens is um on a day-to-day basis with you guys and kind of kind of with everybody else in Boston yeah it, you know he he left their team as you said he skipped a game to go visit Andrew Smith who has been he was diagnosed with cancer in January of 2014 and last week, Brad Stevens skipped a game. And I, I think, you know, you, you would you would hope that all coaches would do that, that that they would decide, you know, obviously my former player's health and seeing him saying goodbye is far more important than coaching this game against the Chicago Bulls. But there aren't a lot of coaches who have those types of relationships with their players that they would do that. And so it really was, I mean, watching Stevens talk about, Andrew Smith was just absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, the the raw emotion on his face as he talked about this kid who who really he, he considers family after coaching him for four years, after reaching two national title games with him, after going through the last two years, visiting him in the hospital, basically whenever the Celtics were near Indiana, whenever they had a, a road trip near there, he would go and stop by and say hello. His Andrew Smith's wife said, outside of family, Stevens was the one who texted and called more often than anybody else. And the Celtics players really, really respected Stevens for for leaving their team to go to, and, and they kind of they just kind of rallied around him, I think, and, and gave him a lot of support for that. 
you know, Brad St- or Evan Turner was saying, you know, I, this guy, I, always, I already had him on a high pedestal, but, but he's just a, an amazing person. And it, it was really, really powerful just to see how much love he has for Andrew Smith. No, and from, from a media standpoint, there's few guys I enjoy talking to more, more than Stevens. Um, not, not, not because that, that matters all that much, but it, it, he treats everybody the same. Um, at least in my experience where, you know, when he's in a, when you're in a, a scrum with him and you're talking to him, he, he, he's more than willing to talk about anything you want to, you want to bring up. And he, he, he just kind of, he just kind of has the same demeanor with, with everybody he's talking to, whether it's, you know, some guys never met or one of the national people. And it, it really just feels like that is kind of, and he was like that in college too. I covered him some at Butler during the tournament and he, he just has always felt like a guy that kind of just, you know, was happy to be coaching and, you know, was, was kind of happy to kind of go through his day and, and, and appreciated the opportunity he had. Um, and maybe that comes from kind of his unique background, given that he, you know, was selling, uh, I think pharmaceutical supplies, I think, or he was some kind of a sit- traveling salesman before he got back into coaching. Um, but it, 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 it has always struck me that he's been a guy that's always, um, kind of appreciated the opportunity he has and and has tried to kind of take advantage of it at every step of the way yeah he's a rare coach who knows almost everybody's name like everybody in the scrum he'll he calls them by the first name and in boston that's a lot of people (laughs) yeah yeah it's like 20 30 people sometimes and he he knows everybody's name he treats everybody the, the exact same way he's just just as advertised from my experiences with him so, so from now from now to the deadline, then you know where do you where do you see this going? I mean, I know we've kind of said that we don't see, um, you know, kind of a, a solution on the roster, but do we see a do do you, do you expect that the Celtics are going to get back on track here? Do you expect them to start to play play a little better, um, or do you, or do you think this could linger? I mean, we were we were talking before we got on, and you were kind of running through where you were headed over the next few weeks. And you know, they they play. We're talking on a Wednesday afternoon, like I said earlier. They play the Pacers tonight. Um, then they play the Suns on Friday, which is a game that they should win, given how disastrous the Suns are at the moment. But then they go to Washington, to Dallas, to Toronto. They come home to play Chicago. Then they go to Philly on a back to back. They go back to Washington again. Then they play Denver, have a home and home with Orlando, and then play the Knicks, Pistons, and Cavs. I mean, that's a really tough stretch. And before the season, you might have thought that a lot of those games would be gimmies, but you know they could easily lose the majority of those games. And you know, do you do you think that even though things have been in a rough patch lately, this is a situation that could start to get better, or do you think that the Celtics could be in? have the potential to, I should say, um, have the potential to maybe slide even further than where they've gone to this point, where I think, you know, they've lost, you know, several games, four games in a row and, and a bunch recently and, and seem to be in a bit of a bit of a mess. I mean, I, I think, I don't think it'll slide too far. I, I think they are a pretty good team. They're not a great team at all, but they're a pretty good team. Even, even in the last, the four game losing streak, like they were up, in double digits in three of the games. They gave the Knicks a good second half run. 
last night. All single-digit losses. All six of the last seven, all single-digit losses. Yeah, they're still playing stretches of of pretty good basketball, and they still have a top-five defense, which keeps them in every game. So it's hard for me to envision them really crumbling unless the frustration gets too big. Like that's the only thing is if, if this starts to snowball and they can't get themselves together mentally, but I, I don't, I don't think that it'll spiral too far. I, I think they'll rally together. What's weird is they kind of had a similar stretch last January. And like every, they, people started grumbling about playing time. People were grumbling about the rotation. And what happened was at that time they had like five bigs, kind of similar to they have now. They had too many guards. What what Ainge did then was he shipped out Brandon Wright and he shipped out Jameer Nelson, and then things cut, the rotation kind of made more sense. But the, the, you can't do that now because there's nobody that has that little value. Like there's there's no easy fix to to getting rid of some of the depth. So it, it'll be an interesting to see what he does near the trade deadline because I do think they have too many good players and they know they have too many good players. We haven't even talked about it. Jordan Mickey hasn't played a single meaningful minute. He is destroying the D-League. D-League player of the month. Right, blocking a billion shots a game. I think actually a billion shots a game at this point. (laughs) Yeah, and then they're really curious to see what he does at the NBA level. But, you know, they just sat Kelly Olenek, Tyler Zeller, and David Lee all in the same half. And Jordan Mickey isn't beating out all those guys. So they need to find some way to alleviate their roster depth problem and they need to start playing better basketball. I, I do think maybe people are overreacting to their stretch though just because they've lost some close games and kind of kicked away some some games that they really should have won people in boston overreacting to losses really you you, sh- you should see the tweets i get like people calling for stevens head already <laughs> yeah, Boston Boston fans are always very sane and and never prone to overreacting in any way. Um, I I just I just looked up Jordan Mickey's stats in the D League. Uh, for people that might think that Jay's just being hyperbolic, he's averaging in nineteen games eighteen points, eight and a half rebounds, and four point six blocks per game. So uh, he he is an interesting player. However, like you said, the one thing the Celtics don't need is another power forward because they have a million of them already, and uh, finding playing time for him is, is going to be tricky. Um, the one thing I wanted to wrap up with is, you know, we've, we've talked about it a couple different times, and, you know, for, as the, at this point, I think most people who listen to this podcast know that I used to cover the Brooklyn Nets for the New York Post before I took this job, and, you know, that's how me and Jay became friends, so I'm covering two teams in the Atlantic Division. And how, how much are people in Boston – following along with every Nets game, uh, given given that, you know, even if the Celtics do turn things around, nobody expects this team to really, you know, make a huge run in the playoffs. You know, maybe they could win a round, but more, almost certainly they'll probably get in and lose in the first round again. Um, so how, how much of a focus is there right now on, on the day-to-day happenings with the Nets, you know, who, who just fired their coach and GM the other day, and, and, and is, the, is the possibility of getting – you know, a Ben Simmons or or one of these other top talents at the top of the draft next year kind of become the dominant theme for Celtics fans at this point? I think at the beginning of the season, it's calmed down a bit since the beginning of the season. When the Nets were like 0-9 or 0-10 or whatever they started out, 
people were really, really fired up. They, they were paying more attention to the Nets probably than they were to the Celtics. Uh, and then the Nets kind of like they righted the ship a little bit, started playing a little better basketball. People realized they weren't going to be that, that bad, that they weren't going to battle the 76ers for the worst record in the league. But, yeah, pe- people are really excited about that pick. They, they do pay attention to the Nets. I, I get a lot of tweets about net scores. And it'll it'll be like sometimes the Celtics will lose a game and people will start tweeting out, well, at least Brooklyn lost. So they they and that situation over there is fascinating. To to go into the trade deadline, right? Like this close to the trade deadline to fire your GM, I just don't get the timing behind those moves. I thought Hollins wasn't doing that bad a job. And and they have nowhere to go, right? Like no matter who you hire as a coach, not not much is changing this year. I just thought that was a, a weird, weird set of moves from the Nets. But the Nets, the Nets, the Nets, the Nets making weird moves—that's never happened before, <laughs> ever. Right? Never happened <laughs> once. Um, yes, I agree. Uh, it was a little strange. Um, it clearly seemed like uh, ownership had just gotten. Uh, frustrated with the way things were going and just decided they needed to do something right away. Um, the fact that no one in the organization knew that this was happening when it happened outside of basically Billy and Billy King and Lionel Hollins kind of tells you that it was a a, uh, a sudden move that nobody really, I mean, people knew that things were likely to happen at some point, but not on a Sunday afternoon of uh, wild card weekend in the NFL. Um, so yes, it, it, uh, that is, that is what the Nets specialize in, um, doing odd things. But, um, Jay, this has been awesome. I don't want to keep you too long, so now you got to get ready to cover uh, tonight's game. So where where can people find you on Twitter, and what would you like to plug? Twitter, at ByJKing. And I don't, I don't want to plug anything. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, man. Well, what are you I doing? I don't want to advertise. No, plug, I, plug yourself. I don't, I, otherwise, I'm going to have to do it. So, so plug what you got going on. I'm just I just regular game coverage, man. Some good, cool stories. I actually have a story coming out about Evan Turner's boxing career, which which should be pretty fun. Uh, his his sparring tactics in the off season, <laughs> so so that'll be fun. Uh, other than that, not too much coming on. Are you still doing the podcast too? Yes, the Rain and Jays podcast with John Corrales of RedsArmy.com. Uh, which is a weekly podcast about the Celtics. Yeah, thanks for the plug, man. I appreciate it. Well, there you go. I shouldn't have had to. I shouldn't have had to beg you to plug yourself. Uh, Self promotion, man. That's what we're all about here in the journalism industry at this point. We all have to try to keep our jobs as long as possible. So, uh, put yourself out there. Um, you can you can find my work at the Washington Post um, and on our website. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. Please uh, subscribe to the Posting Up Podcast on iTunes. Uh, give it a five-star rating and review. That'd be great. Um, thanks to uh, the Sports Digital at the Washington Post, Glenn Yoder and his band, the Western States, from all from Boston. Uh, Glenn actually not from Boston, but went to school there um, for the theme music for the podcast, which is neat. And uh, Jay, thanks again for the time, man. I'm looking forward to, uh, to hopefully seeing you again sometime soon, all right? Thank you for having me, man. I always listen to the podcast, so it, it's an honor to be on it. Uh, Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Talk to you guys soon.